Hey everybody, and welcome to the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello, hello. Joe Eames. Hey everybody. Alyssa Nichol. Howdy. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week we have a special guest, and that's Ciro Nunes. Hi there. Do you want to give us a brief introduction <laughs> since you haven't been on the show for a while? Okay. So I'm a front. I'm the lead front-end engineer of CrossEngage, uh, this uh, up-and-coming startup from Berlin in the marketing tech uh, market. I'm also a Google Developer Expert in web technologies and uh, mostly Angular. Awesome. Well, we brought you on to talk about the migration that you're doing at CrossEngage. Do you want to give us just a brief uh, description of how that app was set up before you started and what you're kind of aiming toward as you migrate it? Sure. So uh, actually, when I first looked at the app, it was a bit scared because it was a mix of uh, a lot of things. And uh, it, it wasn't easy to actually figure out uh, the build structure and all the setup. It was using uh, a mix of Browserify and Babel and some other uh, very custom uh, gulp tasks to wire it all up. So that was actually the, the scenario. And then uh, as uh, we have all the nice and new stuff uh, in Angular, mostly the tooling and all the performance improvements that we need at CrossEngage, uh, we decided to face this, tame this beast and actually start the, the migration. So uh, right now we're at this stage uh, where we have a hybrid application and we're actually, we actually didn't have the very nice talk of Vitor Safkin when we first started our migration. Uh, the talk of uh, from Vitor about uh, upgrading enterprise applications. And then uh, we actually didn't have a very nice and well-defined strategy when we first started. So then we faced a lot of problems and it, it was very interesting, this uh, the path so far. We learned a lot, and uh, now we're basically looking for this vertical upgrading. So we're taking the routes and or routes and making sure that we upgrade everything necessary to uh, have only either AngularJS or Angular in, in the page uh, at the, in the same moment. So basically, yeah. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of knowing where to go to make sure you're up to date. Well, the answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Angular. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got adventures in Angular all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've set up a Slack team for adventures in Angular that you can join. And that means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web 
to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at adventuresinangular.com slash Slack. Uh, at the, in the same moment. So basically, yeah. So a, a quick, uh, a couple of quick background questions for you. How big was the app? Let's just measure it and say number of screens. And was it public facing? That's question number two. And question like, do you have like consumers or is it internal business people? And question three is, did you can? What what was your consideration about whether to just like start all over in Angular versus try and do the upgrade? Okay, so about screens, more or less uh, six screens, but uh, with tons of components. So I would say it has more than uh, two thousand modules, more or less. So Angular JS modules, and it was all uh, modularized. So uh, six screens, which doesn't seem to be a lot, but actually a lot of components, so a very interactive application. And, so it was, uh, very, it was a very dense information uh, uh, screen then, set of screens then, presumably, right? Exactly. And uh, with different states. Yeah. So if we count the state, the different states that a root can take, it would be uh, much more than just six pages. Was the user a a sort of a, a business user or a casual consumer user? Business users, and uh, the application is not uh, facing the public. Right. So it runs on a desktop or a tablet. Were you trying for mobile or not? No, it's only a web app. It, it's not even uh, responsive. So, so yeah, I, I think you're already on the way to answering the third uh, question, which was, um, why you know the do I start all over and redo it entirely in Angular, or do I upgrade? Because it sounded like you had with over two thousand components, it wasn't something you could do in a short period of time. Is that fair to say? Exactly. So, and uh, the point is that we still have much more features uh, coming. So it's not something that we could just uh, pause for a bit, the development, upgrade, and then continue. So we still need to keep on shipping uh, new components. And uh, the nice about this strategy is that we can uh, already ship new components in Angular 4. Yeah. So, so where did you sort of decide to attack it? If you had like six screens, did you have to completely replace one of them with uh, the new Angular? Uh, or did you try and split one of them up into to a combo? Or how, how did you decide you, where you were going to attack it? You did say you, you're using ng-upgrade with this, right? Yes, sure. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't mention that, but yes. We're using ng-upgrade. And uh, about the strategy, so first of all, we thought that it would be really nice to start from the reusable components. So then we tried, but we started to have a lot of uh, duplicated code, and uh, it was starting 
to be a bit harder to maintain. So then uh, actually we, we started like taking the most simple ones. So let's say, for example, the login page, which is kind of simple and then uh, migrating pretty much everything. And then when uh, we looked at some other screen that it would be really a, a really big uh, thing, we actually uh, avoided that. So t taking the easiest ones uh, first, the simpler ones, and uh, of course, as there are many reusable components, even if we're touching a simple screen with not not as many components, we're already touching a reusable one that is used across many other pages. So taking the smaller screens gives us this uh, uh, the performance boosts. So we don't need to load uh, Angular JS application uh, at in this page because it's fully migrated, right? So then uh, taking the simpler ones and then uh, already uh, many components, the reusable components were migrated. So when we take the bigger screens, we can actually, uh, we already have a lot of work done, right? So we, we can conti continue from that. That's pretty much the strategy. When somebody loads a an AngularJS page, does it also at the same time, like let's suppose they launch the app and the place they want to go is one of the AngularJS pages. Does it also load the Angular library at the same time? Yes, it does because it's doing the bootstrap through the Angular application. So gotcha. there's this, this uh, migration shell as it's called, and this loads the uh, Angular application, so we're not using AOT. And uh, this was something uh, that we could think like, so the, the performance hit would be not as nice for the, the end user, but uh, what we figured was that our needs were much more specific. So we need actually to have uh, a nicer responsive time as, as after the first load. But the first load being a bit slower is actually okay because we don't have a bounce rate as our users needs to go through anyways. Yes, yes. That's so true for so many of our business applications. I know that there's, we are, um, and, and I think rightly, all concerned about um, time to first interaction. Um, and, and that's why I asked about whether it had business users who were sort of a captive audience or not. Because if they have a captive audience, let's face it, that, that they can, you can make them wait. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just a little Suckers. Bit, right? <laughs> Sucker, you're stuck in it. Anyway. Hey, I'm paying you, so sit, wait for me. Have a cup. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, obviously we would love to be able to improve the experience for them as well, but at least you don't have to worry about the employee saying, that's it, I hit this app, I quit. Um, uh, exactly. <laughs> but there, the, the reason I actually brought up the, the question of whether it loads both at the same time, and I don't think it's going to necessarily matter for you, 
But last night I tripped over a PR that I was going to write about uh, from Victor that allows Angular to be load, lazy loaded later, which means uh, that, um, you know, with require or something like that. And I haven't really quite looked into it, but if you had, if it was an issue for you, I wanted to say that it looks like help is on the way because Victor was looking for a way that when you landed on an AngularJS page, you didn't have to pay, you didn't have to sit around and wait for it to load regular Angular um, uh, before you could start using it. It would just start would get you going and then load Angular in the background. And I don't know much more about it than that, but that I saw a PR. And so for anybody who's listening and wants to know, that's sitting out there waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th this kind of thing needs to be uh, measured, you know, because uh, it, it sounds pretty nice, right? Just let's lace load everything. Let's uh, make it faster and stuff like that but uh, sometimes it, it doesn't really matter for your kind of application and then you spend some uh, effort you know setting this up and then like the, the end result is not uh, as, as uh, it's not worth it right that is such great wisdom I hope everybody's hearing that <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, for for example, for us, uh, one of our challenges uh, is being actually the animations, because we used to have uh, pretty much all our animations triggered by uh, the AngularJS directives using the animation module, and uh, for some reason uh, we still didn't figure this out. So then, like. As we're upgrading, we're losing a bit of the animations. And also uh, the translation. So we're still not uh, migrated in that area. So actually what we're doing is still using the Angular Translate module from AngularJS. And uh, this, this is actually something that actually requires, a, I would say, a medium amount of effort. It's not very trivial to set it up, I would say. And uh, it's m much more important than, in our case, of course, lazy loading uh, in the first load. So for example, lazy loading the AngularJS uh, library, uh, framework, you know, so yeah. Sure. That, that makes good sense. Uh, can you talk a little bit about um, what your internationalization needs are? Do you need it for translation of the data that comes over or just for the static assets on the page? Just for, for the static assets so far. But yeah, we have plans for uh, supporting also data coming from the server. So, so did you try Angular's I18N uh, facility, um, and has it, it? where does that stand in your thoughts? So we checked out the guide on the docs, which is very, very nice. And uh, actually what we decided was to 
wait a little bit and focus a bit more in, in the components we needed to make faster. So that was pretty much the uh, the main reason for adopting Angular over AngularJS. We needed a bit more performance in some components. So we still didn't get there. So as I said, it's a huge application. There are many teams involved. And uh, for, for example, the translation, the internalization is one of the areas we didn't evolve that much. But we're definitely looking forward to, to implement it. The I-18 and mod module, the official one. Great. Uh, that happens to be uh, improving also as we speak. So um, by the time you get there, it may be um, easier for you to use. Um, that would so, be lovely. Yes, it would. <laughs> uh, the, so so the, you said the driver was the performance of components. Can you tell us a little bit about like where it was a problem in AngularJS and where you're seeing uh, or expect to see benefits in, by using an Angular alternative? Absolutely. And it's not a secret. I think that everybody already faced this, the same problem. So we have uh, big lists. So let's say more than 2,000 items in a ng repeat. So that was causing uh, our uh, application to be sluggish. And uh, the users were actually complaining quite a lot. So not complaining about the first initial load, but you know about clicking on a select box, for example, and a custom select box, of course, and then it taking quite a lot of time just to be interactive. And uh, we were expecting gains by adopting Angular, and we already had. So pretty much. Uh, the biggest pain point was uh, actually solved. Well, that is good to know. Did you have to do any special kind of tuning? Did you have to use uh, the uh, on push um, state, or were you just was it just right out of the box without doing anything special? Was it uh, fast enough? Fast enough, uh, just by out of the box. Uh, actually, what we avoid, avoided was to have uh, the ng-model directive being applied on input fields. So we were actually doing the binding kind of uh, manually, but not using uh, observables or immutable data structures, which would actually be even faster, I, I would say. But yeah, just just by uh, out of the box, we got a lot of uh, gains. That that was quite awesome. So, how far would you say you are to being completed? Do you know how many like thing like individual things you need to rewrite, or is it like halfway done, or what would you say? To be honest, it's quite hard to say because, uh, as I said, the application is evolving a lot over time. So 
but uh, anyways, uh, the new components are being written in Angular 4, but sometimes we also have to deal with the legacy uh, somehow. So I would say not even halfway done, but we can already say that we uh, are seeing the benefits, which, which is like the most important thing, I guess. Yeah, like, well, that and that anything new that you get to write, you're you're writing it in up to date. You're not writing old things that are eventually going to have to be refactored. So that's nice. Exactly. Like uh, we're, we're trying to keep the old stuff uh, isolated and we're not really bothering to touch it as long as we need. What do you think the total, you know, calendar time will be for this this conversion project? Just so that people out there who are looking at their own stuff can sort of, you know, the biggest question that they always have to say is like, what's it, what's it going to take, you know, in terms of effort, and also what's the kind of time frame that I should be expecting, because that's that's the kind of information that you need to take to your manager if you want to propose uh, upgrading. So what, what's the kind of like what's the kind of time span over which you expect this to happen? So uh, I expect that uh, in the end of four to five months, uh, we can call it a day. Okay, that that would that would help people. Um, are you? Is there anything that you wish it did that it doesn't do yet? Mm, what do you mean? Uh, what, the... Well, you're 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 doing this conversion, and you're and so you're deep in it, and um, you. I mean, in anything I've ever been involved in, as happy as I am with how it's going, there's always something that I wish <laughs> wish was <laughs> solved or, you know, I hit my head against it and I went, you know, how maybe I have some advice for people downstream or maybe there's something that could make the product better that would make it a little easier for you to, to do this conversion. Okay. Uh, so I wish I knew in the beginning that... Uh... It, it would be possible to use the CLI to help me out. But also, I, I wish I knew that maybe moving to uh, your build to Webpack would help you a lot to get started. Because I spent a lot of time actually fighting uh, Browserify and Babel to get around it and uh, set up my hybrid application. That uh, if if I knew that, I, I'm pretty sure that our migration would be further ahead at this moment. So I just wanted to share this one uh, with the audience. And I don't know. I think that other than that, as soon as you get the hang of it, uh, you write your first components, and then you write the unit test for your first components, and you see how natural it feels, and you just keep on going. It becomes automatic. So that's my experience so far. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. 
We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. It becomes automatic. So that's my experience so far. Did I hear you say that you're writing tests? Uh, is that true for the new? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Good oh, man, I've got my hands over my head. I wish I had a cheer button. We would be, you know, because. <laughs> <Zoom. laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's so easy to write then in Angular, right? So why not? Reach to the All choir, right. my friend. Yay! Are you using <laughs> the um, unit testing uh, utilities and writing component tests for your components with their uh, templates, or are you just writing tests for the classes? Yes, uh, so we're writing tests just for the classes, but for the crucial components, we're actually testing the templates as well. Mm. The Angular version of integrated tests. Interesting. So what are your thoughts so far about that? I mean, it's, it's also very interesting that you're doing both kinds, right? Mm -hmm. So when do you choose? Why not just do everything using the their integrated, you know, these integration tests that test the templates as well? Why not do it all the time? And what are your thoughts so far about your experiences? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it in between? You said, I guess you prefaced this kind of, you said it was easy, so... This is easy. All right. So uh, to be fair, if you're new to it, it looks a bit scary. But uh, as soon as you, as, as I said, get the first ones uh, running, you feel a bit uh, more comfortable, I would say. And the reason for not uh, adopting uh, integration tests for everything is that they're not that cheap, right? So pretty much testing the public uh, methods of your components is like way cheaper to write and also to run those tests. And uh, the integration ones are a bit more uh, uh, harder to set up and also a bit more expensive to run. So, so can you define for people new to testing what you mean by expensive or cheap? Sure. <laughs> so pretty much uh, when you unit testing your components, uh, you're kind of mocking everything, right? And then uh, when you're dealing with uh, your templates in this Angular integration testing world, it's actually a bit more expensive because you need to actually have the templates and template manipulation. So we're actually dealing with the DOM somehow, even on headless browsers, you're actually doing those uh, manipulations somewhere, right? So your tests can uh, catch the state of the HTML and uh, assert uh, against that. So that, that's what I mean by cheap and expensive. Uh, another way would be to say, well, I mean, there are two ways in which I find it expensive. I think the way you described it's, it was that 
they take a long time to run. Is that what you were meaning there? Yes, yes. The other way in which they're expensive, in my experience, is that right. um, they're very brittle. They're necessarily brittle if, if your UI is changing a lot because things move around. And so, you, you know, you just to find out if something really happens, you change one little thing and then you were looking for it. And oops, your end-to-end -end tests broke. And it's not really, you know, half the time it's a problem with your test, not with the with the underlying code. So you visit it over and over and over again. And that's particularly a challenging when um, the app is new. Now that would be less of a problem for you because you already have a well-defined result. So you should yes. be able to pretty much um, know what the outcome is supposed to look like and therefore write your end-to-end -end scripts. So I guess you'd mean mostly expensive in the first sense that it takes a long time to run. Mm. Exactly. Oh, you were we're not talking about end to end. You're talking we're talking about integration tests. Oh, I thought we were talking end to end. Mm, we, no. we weren't talking <laughs> about not uh, yeah. Did you, have you written any end to end tests? Actually not. Okay. So you're just writing oh, what planet was I on? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's it's worth again making a, this definition out throwing this definition out here, right? Uh you have unit tests, you have end-to-end -end tests, so then there's this middle ground that in some technologies is called, some places they call it integration tests or functional tests, which usually means you're testing a few pieces of, the, of your system. In Angular, they have that concept, and that means that you're testing a component and its template working together, right? And that you may at the same time be testing its subcomponents, or you may not, but whether if you are and if you are testing at subcomponents, they call it a deep integration test. If you're not, they call it a shallow integration test. But it's the the testing of a component and its template together that they that is coined uh, a integration test. And so it looks and runs just like a unit test, right? Except, well, from a conceptual standpoint, it's like a unit test because I'm just testing one piece of thing, but now it's not just the code, it's the code and its template working together. And so the setup is tons different. It's it's almost more almost as difficult as setting up an end-to-end -end test in some some ways. All right. So so this is where <laughs> I jump in. <laughs> yes, but I, I would say that uh, what uh, you just said also uh, is a, a reasoning for being a bit more expensive to write, right? Because as, as you're dealing with your templates, if they change so much, your uh, test will also need to be changed. And then uh, actually you should evaluate, right, if, if it's uh, worth it or not to write those because they're not as cheap as unit tests. Basically. Have you been bitten by that? Have you written some integration tests and then found that you're just changing the template a lot and backed off and canceled? and? and actually it happened uh, the opposite to be honest uh, I, I was actually fighting to set up uh, this uh, sort of integration test for a component that was uh, actually not changing much and then in the end i was just like all right i'm spending a lot of time on this but maybe it's not even necessary right it it is there it's working we're not changing it a lot, so maybe 
we can just write the test for those later. And then we didn't write at all and it never broke because we're not changing. And uh, there are other tests covering it. So uh, actually it happened the opposite. But uh, so did you, I'm, I'm confused. Did you end up actually writing integration tests for them or did, did in this case, or did you just not write integration tests for it? Cause you feel like the, no. <laughs> I gave up. I, I gave up. And then and then in the other scenario, like when it changed a lot, I just changed my tests a lot. But that was okay because it, it was actually important to make sure that it was tested. So cool. So we're getting towards the end here. I think there's a wrap up question I'd like to ask. And I don't know if anybody else has any other questions. Well, I wanted to push back on whether testing the interaction between the class and the components template is an integration test, but I can leave that for another day. I don't, I don't, um, just to be, I feel like I we need to have a testing episode. I don't think that that qualifies for reasons that I could give, but I concede, um, that it is harder to write a, in other words, if you can just taste test a component class, uh, without its interaction with its own template, then that is certainly uh, invariably easier and often sufficient. Um, but I, but I am still inclined to believe that the you know, the component the component and its template travel together and they need to be test they often need to be tested together and that isn't that isn't a real that's such a close in integration test that I could argue that that's a unit test. But we'll get into that another time. Where well, were you going, Joe? Or, huh? Or just as a response to that. Whether you agree or disagree with that statement, uh, Mishko, I think, I think Mishko officially coined an integration test in, uh, I don't know if it's in the official documentation. I think it is, but it's, that's been like the name bestowed upon what that is. And it's, so it's less about, Hey, this is what people would consider to be an integration test. And then let's call it this. It was just that he wanted a name for it and he chose the word integration test with deep and shallow. Certainly there was this blog post about it. Well, I'll, I'll push back on that. First, who the, <laughs> hell, who the hell is Mishko and what does he know? <laughs> but secondly, if you're talking about the documentation, since I wrote it, um, then that would have to be me who called it an integration test. <laughs> and so I've got to look, I'm going to go look at that again. <laughs> but we're going to have fun with this topic another time. Sorry to drag you all into it. Um, uh, let's just agree that it's harder um, when you have to interact with the template and that it's not always worthwhile, as Ciro said. I, uh, however, getting back to the expensive question, it's not that it's slower. It, isn't, uh, it doesn't run slower to talk to the template in the same way that end-to-end -end tests are, are manifestly slower. Um, uh, the tests run pretty quickly, but you do have to develop a new set of skills um, to be able to write uh, tests that where the class um, where you're testing the class and its template together. That takes some new skills that you can uh, an effort that you can um, probably do without. And, and I and I write those too, just just so um, you have my vote there, Ciro. It makes perfect sense. And now we can get to Joe's question. All right, so for my final wrap-up question would be, looking back at everything, do you feel like you made the right decision with the direction that you went with this? Yes, definitely. So uh, it was 
the best decision, I would say. I don't regret it uh, at all. Cool. And word uh, up, uh, if you have this AngularJS application and then uh, you need more performance, you're not uh, confident on migrating, just try it out. Uh, I, I really recommend you to get uh, a sample project, just uh, create yourself a to-do application and try to migrate it for fun. I'm pretty sure you get confident and then you can apply this knowledge to uh, your real application. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. I'm pretty sure you get confident and then you can apply this knowledge to uh, your real application. All right. Well, let's go ahead and head into the picks. Ward, do you want to start us with picks? Well, uh, you know what? Uh, my pick is going to be thank you, Ciro, for coming on and giving us some real-world experience uh, on this upgrade business because um, people are desperate to know uh, what it's really like for real applications. And um, so thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. All right, Joe, what are your picks? Uh, so I'm going to pick a board game that I was playing recently called Mystic Veil. Uh, it's actually like a, one of those card games. It's it's a really fun game. It's easy to pick up and learn. And it's fairly quick to play. It plays in less than an hour, depending on the number of people that you've got. Uh, there is one expansion pack. It's got a very unique mechanic for board games. So I highly recommend if you're looking for something new and interesting to play, I can highly recommend highly recommend that Mystic Veil. That's my pick. All right, Alyssa, what are your picks? Um, so mine is a game as well. Um, so it's actually hilarious, and I don't know how appropriate for work. Maybe it's appropriate? I don't know. Uh, it's called Organ Attack. And um, basically you and your opponent have like a set of organs, and you attack each other's organs with different diseases. And the last one with an organ left wins. So, yeah, it's hilarious. It's by the Awkward Yeti, if you've ever heard of uh, this person dash comic. So, yeah, organ attack. <laughs> nice. Uh, your pick reminded me of a TV show I used to watch, and so I'll pick that. Um, it's called Invader Zim. It's a Nickelodeon show. It was on a long time ago. It was only on for one season. It's one of those shows that's tragic that they didn't make any more of them. Um, but anyway, he's an alien and he's kind of an idiot and it's, it's just, it's freaking funny. But, um, anyway, he, he goes to school and his arch nemesis is this kid and, uh, he, anyway, he goes and he, uh, he basically gets all these organs from all these animals and, uh, you know, to show the nurse cause he had to go in for a health check. And so, you know, if he had more organs and he was healthier anyway, it was really, really funny. So... <laughs> Um, it, it's a crazy show. 
but really funny. So I'm going to pick Invader Zim. Uh, Ciro, do you have some picks for us? Yes. Uh, so my first pick is uh, this tutorial on uh, the Google Developers. It's called uh, Getting Started with Headless Chrome. So this seems to be very, very promising. And I, I just wanted to point you to this uh, little tutorial so you can try it out. It's uh, probably, it will probably be a replacement for Phantom.js uh, in the near future. So just to keep in mind. And the other one is this uh, Chrome extension created by a friend of mine, Zeno Rocha. It's called Code Copy. It basically puts a uh, copy to clipboard uh, functionality everywhere that contains a snippet of code. So you can just copy that and paste where you want. Does it like Pre copy it as an RTF or something? That's a good question. <laughs> you should install and try it out. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, if people want to follow up with you or check out uh, your company or get advice on how to upgrade an app, what, where do they go? What do they do? They can just drop me a line on Twitter. So I'm at Ciro Nunes Dev. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you for coming. We're going to go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will catch everyone next week. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.